coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. It's Tuesday, which means Rick Vanell of the Charlotte Observer joins us. He has new information regarding the injuries of Marvin Williams and Nick Batum. How serious does that Nick Batum injury look, and will it linger throughout the season? Also, we talk a little bit about the NBA trade deadline, the chances that the Hornets make a move. Also, are there a couple names that stick out who could be on the move more so than other guys on the Hornets roster? All that to talk about and this. We'll see. There you go. Hey, that's excellent analysis and an excellent rebuttal on your part. (laughs) Thank you. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, we live. We live. Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. It's Tuesday. You know what that means. It means we have Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer on and you can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much for the time. How are you? I'm fine, guys. A um, little rainy outside, but that's perfectly fine. Got a game to cover tonight. No, weird weather here in Charlotte. It's 60 degrees in December, and it's coming down hard, the rain is. So hopefully that does clear up. Rick, I I understand that you have some new information about the injuries of Marvin Williams and Nick Batum. What did you find out today? Um, The obvious news is that for the first time in a while, both of them intend to play tonight. Um, You know, Marvin missed five games with that sore right knee. Nick has been out three games with ongoing soreness in his left hand from the uh, the fractured finger. They both talked in, in some interesting detail about those injuries. Marvin um, was guarding Spencer Dinwiddie, and everything was completely normal. He doesn't remember anything literally happening. But all of a sudden, he's running down court, and his knee stops functioning. <laughs> um, he said, you know, he couldn't put any pressure on the leg. He was stiff. He it got it puffed up. Um, it was debilitating, <laughs> and uh, um, they took an MRI. He was funny talking. You know, I said to him, you know, have they diagnosed anything specifically? And Marvin, being Marvin, he was kind of funny. He says, "Yeah, they took an MRI. It showed that I'm getting old." <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, but the thing is, I mean, they're being very careful about this, and. They, they didn't have practice yesterday, but apparently they did hold a late-day scrimmage specifically so that Marvin and Nick could test their injuries. And they both came out of it okay, and therefore they, they plan to play. Um, Nick was interesting. Um, he talked about how for the second time since the original fracture, his hand got pulled backward in such a way to re-injure it. He told me Mm. specifically that he felt a cracking sensation in his hand after the, during the Washington game. Um, They helped. He didn't play the last three games. I mean, he told me, he said, literally, you know, his hand is get you know, gets to a point sometimes where he can't play defense and he can't grip the ball because that's how, it's not just pain that, you know, it, it makes, sometimes it makes his left hand not function right. Um, Nick told me that the reason he took these three games off in consultation with the medical staff is because they want to make sure that this thing had a chance to do some healing. They don't want to get in a situation. And if this may be inevitable guys where he plays a couple of games, aggravates the injury, sits out a couple of games and it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. 
my concern, quite frankly, after listening to him talk for 10 minutes is I think there's a distinct possibility that this hand's going to be brittle for the rest of the season. Rick, what was, was there anything noteworthy to you the way that the Hornets navigated through both of those injuries to the veterans and the way that Borrego put out different rotations, anything at all that you found particularly interesting? I was surprised that he started Cody. Um, not because Cody doesn't belong in the starting lineup, but because in the modern NBA, and particularly since Borrego is such an advocate for, you know, your four should be somebody who spends at least as much time at the three-point line as anywhere else. <clears throat> I don't see the Twin Towers kind of thing being something that they use for any length of time. I really think that that was um, a reaction to Marvin's um, – not being available. I don't think we'll see that a lot. I don't think it's a particularly good idea for them to try that a lot. Um, and now, frankly, you know, it's interesting. Um, if you went into the season and you asked me what was their deepest position, I would actually say they have one too many people who play power forward. Um, and, um, but, but the nature of the injuries, Marvin being out in combination with Nick being out, you know, really kind of complicates things um, where, you know, if, if Marvin's available, then it's not that big a deal that PJ is not. If if Marvin isn't available, it becomes dramatically more complicated. Yeah. What have the Hornets come to expect from PJ in your eyes, Rick? How are they prepared to play without him? I guess Marvin it will help in that regard. But is there anything else that you think is noteworthy in that area? Uh, it was interesting listening to Marvin talk about PJ. I said, "What do you, what do you think PJ does best?" And he said, "Well, that's the beauty of him. Is he says he does a little of everything well." And I was thinking about that. That you know, he is, he is among rookie leaders in just about every single statistical category. When PJ has had his best games, and like for instance, when he took thirteen free throws recently. Um, it's that he's he's grabbing five rebounds. He's getting uh, you know he's getting two steals. He's blocking two shots. Um, and but the other thing that Nick pointed out that I think is well put, uh, Nick said that um, before PJ last season they weren't a very good team at posting anybody up. There wasn't anybody who really threatened the other team's defense as a post up option. And PJ has changed them that way. Rick, are you surprised to see PJ get so much run this season? 30, uh, almost 30 minutes per game. And then that's even gone up a little bit here in the month of December and they won't have them because of injury. Uh, just to me, I kind of look at that number and it surprises me a little bit. How about you? I would agree with you if they were a team trying to win 45 games and get into the playoffs. I think yeah, we right. need to view every single thing about this season through the prism of, you know, um, playing time is a commodity in order to get the kids better. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with more Rick Bennell here on the other side. If you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrap to show us your top Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and the host or show Twitter account of your favorite podcast. In this instance, it would be at Locked On Hornets or at Walker Mail at Doug Branson LOH. You could do that on Twitter and we will share and retweet. More Rick Bennell coming up in a second. This is Locked On Hornets. But when he showed in Summer League comma a euro step into a windmill during a game end of comma oh, could yeah. put him on the radar of a radar, excuse <laughs> a me, radar. Of all nba yeah on the radar on the radar of <laughs> all nba fans as a nightly highlight producer yeah you're charlotte you're charlotte coming out there 
Yeah, I'm from come from uh, Catawba County. Get so, them on the Raider. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, when you look at this NBA trade deadline uh, and as, as it starts to wind down to get to that area, or what are the chances that you think that the Charlotte Hornets make a trade this season? I would guess around 30%. Um, I found it, you know, Bobby Marks did a, uh, um, did a thing for all 30 teams of their recent trade history and what they have to offer people. And, and, and Bobby pointed out something that, you know, it may be a function of a small sample size here with Mitch Kupchak, but I thought it was interesting. Mitch, Bobby, according to Bobby's numbers, has made six trades since he was general manager, but none of them in season. And I found it interesting that Bobby, Bobby made the observation that Mitch tends to be viewed among the rest of the league as somebody who takes a very conservative view of roster moves. Um, obviously, you know, that must have been a fa- – I'm assuming that he was referring to, to the Gasol thing where obviously that they were had a lot of talks with Memphis and ended up not doing it. Um, I, I will say one thing. Um, the two people I, – I don't think either one of these people are, quote, likely to be traded – but I do think the two people on the roster who are most logical trade candidates are Marvin and Malik Monk. Um, you know, it, it's interesting with, with Malik. I really thought that he had significantly turned a corner uh, and that he was uh, scoring dramatically more efficiently for 10 games. It seems like he's backtracked since then. I don't think he's out of their plans. I'm not implying that. But I don't know after two and a half you know, after nearly two and a half seasons of NBA basketball, you know, he hasn't even started a game. Um, I'm just wondering at this point if he has stopped being, you know, boy, somebody you really need to explore his potential and maybe more, uh, you know, a guy who ends up being a trade commodity. Rick, uh, the the trade strategy or the conservative trade strategy of Mitch Kupchak, that would represent uh, sort of a significant shift from the last regime. Rich Cho uh, made several in-season trades to try to put the Hornets in position to make a playoff push. We often talk about James Borrego as a reaction to the Steve Clifford era. Would you say that Mitch Kupchak as a general manager is somewhat of a reaction, an opposite reaction of the previous regime here in Charlotte? No, nah, I think it's. I think if that's true, what Bobby said, I think it's just more a function of the nature of Mitch's personality. I have found him, you know, this is a guy with an MBA from UCLA. I just think of him as a very calculated, sometimes the move you don't make is the best move kind of guy. Um, and, and by the way, when you, you know, you're right that, you know, Rich was in charge when they made all those trades. But quite frankly, I think a lot of times the person who was the big advocate for making in-season moves with Steve Clifford. Um, I, I'm i not saying that Rich wasn't, you know, um, somebody who ultimately decided to do that stuff and did all the homework and everything, but I, it, it's, my, it's my perception that at that time, Cliff was the one who was really pushing them that you got to do something about X for the rest of the season. Rick, how would you describe the relationship between Rich Cho and Steve Clifford and the relationship they had as far as, you know, maybe the kind of power that Steve Clifford might have over certain moves like that compared to what it is between Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego. Night and day. Um, 
I would compare Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego to the relationship that Marty Herney and Ron Rivera had, where it was very obvious they were on the same page almost to a point that you felt like they were speaking from the same script. Um, Rich kind of got foisted on Cliff. You know, Cliff was a Rod Higgins guy, and that was always a buffer zone. Um, those two people did not see eye at eye. They had personalities that clashed. It was an unhealthy situation. Rick, we've talked about the trade deadline, and I wonder if we might be in store for a more exciting trade deadline because of the way that there's a gap between some of the best teams in the NBA compared to some of the worst. How do you view that situation, how it affects the trade deadline? And Rick, is this the wrong time to be, uh, is this the wrong season to be as bad as what the Hornets are? Um, I, it's been my perception for weeks that there is a wider gap between haves and have-nots in the state than there has been in a long, long time. Um, I think what, where that gets interesting is, could that potentially create a baseball-type dynamic where there is a an obvious difference at the trade deadline between buyers and sellers? And if that happens, and I'm really hypothesizing here, could that create a situation where there are some name players who get relocated for what – on at least superficially, we would perceive as little compensation. Rick, at this point in the season, how do you think fans of the Charlotte Hornets, how reasonable do you think they've been about the rebuild so far? Um, you know, there's you to use the word rebuild. I mean, I mean, and you know, in reaction, because I think that the way that fans are acting is, um, I don't trust you until you give me a, a compelling reason <laughs> to be trusted. I don't. I, what I'm saying is, I don't think they're. I don't think they're angry because I don't know that that, that they're interested enough to be angry. Um, I was. I had. Don't. You know, we don't get turnstile figures the way we used to at the old Charlotte Coliseum, where we could. You know, where we could compare. You know, how many people were actually in the building versus how many tickets were distributed. But the the Wizards game. I mean, it was it was dumbfounding. I, I you know I turned to Steve Reed and I thought there might be four thousand people in this building at tip off, um, and what to me that's that's a very strong signal of wait and see. Um, when when Kemba left, you know the I'm, I'm not talking about season ticket holders. I'm talking about discretionary buys, single game tickets. Unless there's somebody coming in like a LeBron from the outside. The only reason that somebody will, will buy a, a single-game ticket is because there's a star in the building worth seeing, whether it's, whether it's the Hornet star or somebody else's. When Kemba left, that left. And as much fun as Devontae Graham is as a story, and he's as fun a story as I've gotten to cover in a long time, I don't know that Devontae Graham is yet a, re, a, a reason to compel people to show up at Spectrum Center. Do you? No, I think you're right. I mean, I've always said that to bring fans back in that same way, it requires winning a playoff series because there is an element of hope that appeals, even if it's not realistic to think that this could be a championship contending team five, ten years down the line, it's still that element of hope that brings the casual fan into the arena. I think more so even than than the big stars. I think knowing that you're going to go to an entertainment event where there's an opportunity to see the home team win is is very psychological, I think. Um, so, but I'm glad, Rick, that you brought up the old days 
at the the Hornets days of yore, the Charlotte Coliseum packed. You know, Charlotte had just gotten their first professional franchise, and now the Hornets now have their third, uh, or excuse me, the Charlotte now has its third professional franchise, Major League Soccer, being announced t- today. Uh, how, does that give you any kind of flashbacks to when the Hornets were first announced? Did you did you start thinking about sort of the connections between those two events? Doug, I wasn't here when the Hornets were announced. <laughs> I was up in Syracuse. Um, um, but I will tell you that I was I was definitely part of the Observer staff when the Panthers were announced. And the and you know, the NFL is the NFL. It's a black hole for attention. But you know, what I'm saying is the excitement over over Charlotte being awarded an NFL franchise was just dramatically different than this. Having said that, I'm glad you brought up the MLS team because um, we just talked a minute ago about the the situation with you know with the Hornets and whether they can draw fans. Um, I think the question you need to ask yourself is, um, and I don't just mean in terms of, of of fans in the seats. I'm talking about things like corporate sponsorships and sweet sales. Charlotte is a very trending trendy what's new city. Um, if I were the Hornets, I'd feel a little bit threatened in a business sense from this MLS team showing up. Rick, you've been such a staple of the Hornets. I just assumed you were all. I thought you and the Hornets were just uh, inextricably linked. <laughs> the only thing I wasn't around for was them getting the team. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I think that has to be the only thing you weren't around for. It's Rick Bennell joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We always thank him for his time with us on Tuesdays. Make sure you follow him on Twitter for all the Hornets coverage at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, we always enjoy it, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely, guys. Have a good day. All right, our last segment features a preview between the Hornets game uh, as they face the Sacramento Kings in the Spectrum Center tonight. We'll talk about that next year on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. They're running their rookies to Greensboro. They're driving them to Greensboro and then driving them back the same day to play in an NBA game. I cannot (laughs) wait until the Hornets load manage. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I thought that was a really insightful interview with Rick. I thought we got a lot of stuff there from Rick Bennell. Interesting stuff on P.J. Washington, how they may adapt when P.J. isn't playing on the court, especially when Marvin Williams is coming back, them going to the fives, also the relationship between the previous general manager and head coach compared to this current general manager and head coach. Also, Nick Batum's injury, Doug, it seems like this thing could linger all season long. It seems like this thing could be very serious. What were some of the takeaways that you had from speaking with Rick? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because Nick, but this is not the first injury that has lingered for Nick Batum. I mean, he's dealt with uh, a shoulder injury that kept him out for a while, and then it it seemed like he came back too early a few seasons back. And then, remember, during that playoff run, he had several foot-ankle-ish issues that, again, kept him out for a few games, then he'd come back, and then, you know, something else would happen. And so this isn't the first time that we've we've been through this with Nick. Um, But clearly, you know, hand injuries, not something you probably want to mess around with too much. And you wonder at some point if it is – a re-injury situation, does he contemplate, you know, just saying, all right, I'm going to take the rest of the season and figure this thing out. Uh, We've seen small injuries like that, or what we consider small injuries. You know, it's not like a broken leg or something like that. We've seen these type of injuries linger around and keep players out for an entire season. So that, that would, I think it would definitely hurt the Hornets ability to win. It would hurt, I think, especially some of the younger players that are playing with him in those bench units, it would hurt their ability to execute on the floor. 
So I, the Hornets could certainly stand to have as many bodies available as possible this season, I would think. Yeah, what about we talked about the trade market. He said the two most likely guys that, you know, he doesn't, he's not saying it's going to happen, but two names to keep in mind are Marvin Williams, who we've talked about extensively and Malik Monk, which it's not a shock to me, Doug, but it's certainly a name that I don't think we've brought up a ton when we talk about trade discussions at the deadline, but I could absolutely see it, especially in a way where we did see a nice 10 game stretch of Malik Monk playing a lot better basketball. Seems like, I think James Brago has gone away from it. I think Malik Monk's shooting had gotten worse. And remember, he did have that hand injury in there as well. I do think that obviously had to affect his shooting, but it's not like he was a great shooter even before the hand injury. So just a couple of names out there. What, what did you think of that? Or is there anything else that you thought Rick said outside of the Nick Batum injury that was interesting? I agree with him about Marvin. I mean, I really do think that Marvin could actually benefit one of these contending teams. And the trade market is going to be very interesting this season because it's been quiet in years past. But you have so many teams this year that believe that they are maybe maybe they're already ready or they feel like they're a piece away from being able to contend, especially in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I think the Bucks definitely need shooting. Miami's going to be looking for something. The pro- the but the flip side of that problem, there are a lot of teams looking for different pieces this season, but you have a lot of teams that have already invested their assets in order to obtain what they have. So both the Los Angeles teams, they're devoid of picks. There's some other teams that are going to be devoid of picks. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Hornets can get something uh, for a Marvin Williams. I personally don't I mean I'm not connected in any way where I would know oh there's no interest for Malik Monk but I just can't see there being interest for Malik Monk because of his inability to shoot paired with the fact that he can't play defense I just I don't I don't understand how that would help a a contending team I've always talked well maybe not a contender I don't know but I just think I think NBA or a team that needs something I mean maybe maybe there may be a team out there that isn't necessarily in the middle tier that isn't going to contend for a championship that believes that a change of scenery for Malik Monk could benefit them in the long term maybe that's out there but that would certainly wouldn't return much you know I think a, a late second round pick future second round pick. I just think as far as NBA teams go, NBA egos get in the way, and it's what causes teams to take a chance on a Markel Fultz who completely forgets how to shoot on a Josh Jackson. But this is – but uh, Malik Monk is not a Markel Fultz. Like the, the, cause, because the season is uh, – the ceiling – not the season. The ceiling has mm-hmm. already been blown off the, the roof. The ceiling is the roof. It's already been blown off. Hey, Markel forgot how to shoot, Doug. Uh, okay, I mean, but there was – there was still – actual okay, thing but there do. was still a belief – out there that Markel Fultz could be an impact player, like he could be a star player. That even though I still think there is on Malik. I don't think so. I I, Markel forgot a a thing to do about like not even a skill set. Like Markel didn't fall in the draft. See Malik Monk fell in the draft and there was a reason why he fell in the draft. Okay. And Markel didn't fall in the draft. They 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 bet they bet high on Markel because they believe that there was a future there. And then it turns out he forgot how to shoot. I will say this, though. It, maybe we're focusing a little too much even on Markel when a team takes a chance on Josh Jackson like the Grizzlies do or a team takes a chance on Marquise Chris like a couple of teams have done because the talent is just so much there that there are always going to be NBA egos that think this franchise, they really screwed it up. 
wait until he gets in my hands. Wait until he gets in my scheme. I'm the I'm the scheme. I'm the franchise that can make sure that we can get the most out of this talented guy that was a top 10 pick. That was a lottery pick for a reason. And I always think NBA egos, even disregarding the discussion on whether Malik Monk actually has something to work with, NBA egos are going to get in the way and actually think, hey, I'm the one that can get it out of him. Sacramento. We'll there you go. Hey, that's excellent analysis and an excellent <laughs> rebuttal on your part. The Sacramento you. Kings will be in Charlotte tonight at the Spectrum Center. Now, the Kings had been in a bad way to start the season, but they've actually been playing pretty well recently. They actually beat the Dallas Mavericks in Dallas, and the Mavericks have been playing excellent basketball. They beat them. Just beat the Bucks. Yeah, five games ago, they beat the Rockets. They beat the Thunder. So that's two games on the road, by the way, against the Mavericks and the Rockets that they won against the Thunder. They, they beat them at home. They lose to the Knicks, of course, because that's how it goes in the NBA sometimes. But they do beat the Warriors by about 20 points. That game was on the road. So the Kings are playing a lot better, Doug. They're also experimenting with some smaller lineups. Marvin Bagley, who I think has been vocal about wanting to play the three, uh, he's actually been playing a little bit more post-up this time, so they have been going a little bit more small. Uh, what do you expect from the Hornets tonight against the Sacramento Kings? Well, so the Hornets, you know, in their previous matchup, this was one of the early wins of the season. Uh, during that time, the Sacramento Kings were 0-5. I got this uh, cool stat from Matt George, who is the host of the Locked on Kings podcast. Uh, they have won, the Kings, their rematches with the four other teams that they lost to during that 0-5 start. So if the Kings do beat the Hornets tonight, they will be 5-0 and in the second game against the teams uh, that, that led to their 0-5 stars. So I think that's interesting. Marvin Bagley coming off the bench. So that's interesting. He is, you know, wanting to play threes, wanting to play in some of these small lineups. But he is coming off the bench, but he's playing well. I think the best player on the Kings, I mean, just by how he's played this season, is Rashawn Holmes, their center uh, just a huge presence down there defensively. Been one of the best defensive players this year. So the Hornets, you know, who have struggled to really drive the basketball aggressively and get fouled, it's going to be even tougher tonight to drive the basketball and not have it blocked back in your face. And then the, the Kings, I haven't checked the latest injury report, but they may be getting De'Aaron Fox back. He's only played nine games this season, so after uh, an ankle sprain. So the Kings getting healthy, the Hornets getting healthy, having Marvin Williams and Nick Batum, I think will help tremendously. So we'll see, see what happens. Hopefully we get a better shooting performance from the backcourt for Charlotte. Terry Rozier has been bad the last five games shooting the basketball. Devontae Graham, of course, after that game against the Nets had not been very good the last couple of games. And you look at the scoring, it, it's been gone from the Hornets. They, they, the game they won against Chicago scored barely over 80 points and they were still able to win. So the offense has not been there, Doug. And no, it's not. And, but someone who has been there for the Hornets offense this season has been Bismack Biombo. surprisingly. I mean, I think Dell said it on the broadcast. It's the most confident he's seen Biz in his entire career. And I think it's the most effective. I mean, he's got a little hook shot. He's clearly worked on his post game and he's got some strategies to score inside and he looks competent down there. But it may be a difficult night for him against Rashawn Holmes. I mean, it's going to be one of the more difficult interior defensive matchups that Biz has faced this season. Uh, so one more note here from Matt George. He says the Kings defense is much improved, but they still have six to ten minutes of lulls. If the Hornets fall behind early, they will have opportunities to work their way back in. The Kings also live and die by the three-point shot. So expect 30-plus attempts. The Hornets wanting to focus on running those guys off. 
the three-point line and not giving them uh, good looks. If De'Aaron Fox doesn't play, that means more Corey Joseph, and Corey Joseph is having a certifiably awful season, but he doesn't get a lot of usage. The Kings are all ab- the Kings are all about them wings, Kings wings. I don't know what that means, but I appreciate everyone listening. And remember, you can subscribe. They're wing to the scorers, <laughs> Kings wings. I didn't know what that means. I appreciate you clarifying it. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back tomorrow with a recap of the Hornets and Kings game. Kings wings. Ooh.